Well, good morning again. Thank you, girls, for singing this morning, and Shane for a very interesting children's lesson. Trust you, children, enjoyed that this morning. I greet you this morning in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It certainly would be nice if the church could be filled this morning, but as we are all aware, it would not be a wise move due to the virus. How many of you, within the last year, questioned the structural integrity of the footer that your house is built upon? Some of you are thinking, where's he going with this? Does he have the virus? I actually do not. But how many of you ever question the structural integrity of your footer? Did you ever pause for a split second before entering your home and think, wait a minute, is this safe to enter? Is my footer still secure? And most likely, this thought has never crossed your mind. And for many of you, you have never even seen the footer that your house is sitting on. But the footer was poured. A few days later, the basement walls were set or block was laid. Later, a concrete floor was poured in your basement. Then, on the outside, they backfilled with some, probably laid a pipe in, put some stone in, and then backfilled with dirt, covering the footer on the inside and the outside, and the footer was never seen again. However, without the footer that your home is sitting on, your house could not stand. But since most of you this morning are sitting in your home this morning, it's quite obvious that your footer has stood the test of time and proven to be secure. Now take that thought and think about your faith. What is your faith built upon? Firmly resting on. Jesus Christ, correct. The song says, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We place our complete trust on Jesus Christ. He is the sure, the sound, and the solid foundation for our faith. Without Jesus Christ as our foundation, what would our, there's nothing for our faith to stand upon, and we'd be tossed to and fro. But because Jesus is there, we have no need to question his integrity, and we're also aware that there's no other on whom we can depend on that's able to take care of us and provide for us the way that Jesus does. We have not seen Jesus face to face, similar to not seeing our footer for most of us, but he has taken care of us for a number of years, for years. He has proven, clearly proven that he is faithful. He lives within our hearts. And again, I repeat, we have no reason to question his integrity. Believing in Jesus Christ is believing that we are serving and worshiping a risen Savior. So each year, uh, we all enjoy Christmas time. This is the time that we celebrate, celebrate the birth of Christ. And we read how he was born in a stable there in that little town of Bethlehem. We sing songs about this all the time. And then we're fascinated as we go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read through the Gospels about the ministry that Jesus had while he was here on earth. And then you get towards the end of these four Gospels and we read the sad story similar to what Shane had just told us about, how Jesus was betrayed. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was crucified. And then he died. It was a time 
of wondering for many of the disciples and close friends of Jesus as he tried to piece all these scenes together. We read how his body was taken down from the cross, wrapped in a cloth, placed in a new grave, and the large stone was rolled in to close off the entrance to the grave. Then they stationed soldiers there to make sure the people stayed away and didn't come and take his body. And we're going to take a close look at this story from the Gospel of John and see how some of these events unfolded. But first, the question came, why the death and burial of Jesus Christ? Was it needed? Was it re- and why was it required? So short, a short background. Uh, in Genesis 1, we read that God created man on the sixth day. But two things to notice back here in Genesis. We're not going to turn there. Very familiar passage. Number one, man was created, how? In the image of God. Resemblance, likeness. That's how we were created. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Clear. We were created in the image of God. Number two, second thing, after the sixth day, God looked on everything he had made and said it was very good. So man was created by God in the image of God to glorify God. And God looked at what he had seen and he was pleased. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3, just a couple chapters after the creation. And we read that Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord walk in the garden in the cool of the day. If you pause there for a second, uh, this would have been a beautiful scene to witness. We could just have been there watching this. Adam and Eve there in the garden. Here comes the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day to talk with them. But we're told that the couple tried to hide from God. What happened? Man, whom God created to glorify him, committed sin. See, God had told Adam and Eve, do not eat fruit from this one tree that's in the garden here. But they disobeyed, they took some of the fruit, and ate it. So their sin caused a separation between God and man, as sin always does. Adam and Eve were driven from this lovely Garden of Eden, and their relationship with God had changed. Now, God wanted to reconcile man to himself. A close relationship with man is the desire of God, but there was a debt that needed to be paid. For the sin that separated God and man. The price was set, blood needed to be shed, and a life was required to pay the debt that was owed. God loved us so much, this comes from John 3, 16, that he sent his only, his one only son, Jesus Christ, to give his life to pay the required price. So we're going to jump in. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 19, and we're going to look here and some of the verses here. In this chapter, John chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 17 to the first part of 23. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is, in the, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put on the cross, And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. 
Then said the chief priest to Jew, of the Jew to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I had written, I had written. Then the soldiers crucified Jesus. And the story goes on. He bearing his cross. So this was a normal practice for the one that was destined to die. <coughs> Excuse me. John tells us that Jesus carried his own cross. Now Luke says the man named Simon carried a cross for Jesus. At this point, Jesus may have been too weak to carry his own cross. But when they reached a place of execution, Jesus laid on the cross and the soldiers hammered nails through his hands and a long spike through his feet. He was crucified between two thieves. Now this position was intended to disgrace him, but even that position was a fulfillment of the prophecy which we can read in Isaiah 53, 12. And we could pause here and say, who took the life of Jesus? And as you think about that, we might consider the Jews. We might think about the Roman soldiers. But the answer is, no one took the life of Jesus. No one. Jesus gave his life. He voluntarily suffered on the cross in order to purchase our redemption with his blood. And Jesus died for us. Why? Because he loves us. And what does that mean for us? That means today we owe him our entire love and devotion. Such a love that Jesus had for us calls for evidence or loyalty to the suffering Savior in our daily lives. He proved his love to us, and I trust we are doing our part today by loving him unconditionally. Bishop J.C. Ryle said this, and I quote, to wear material crosses as ornaments, to place, to place crosses on churches, yes, there's one here, and tombs, all this is cheap, easy work and entails no trouble. It was not hard this morning to carry this cross in and set it up. It entailed no trouble. But he goes on, he says, But to have Christ's cross in our hearts, to carry his cross in our daily walk, to know the fellowship of his suffering, to have crucified affections, and to live crucified lives, all this needs self-denial. And he concludes by saying, this is the only cross-bearing that does any good in the world. So yeah, we could, some people hang crosses around their, on their necks, some people have them in churches, or wherever you think, but that, that's all, he has it there, it's cheap and easy work. But are we taking the cross of Christ and living it today? Fellowship of his suffering, or our affections, have they been crucified? Are we living crucified lives and lives for Christ John tells us that Pilate wrote a title, and it was written in three languages, which was the reason intended for, for many to read, and said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And again, this title was intended to be insulting to the Jews and to Jesus as well. See, the kind of the whole theme behind this is trying to put Jesus down as much as possible. Another man, Homer Kent, his comment on the title was, it created an impression that this unfortunate victim is the only kind of king you Jews will ever have, and he is the kind that you deserve. So kind of just downplaying the whole thing and saying this is what you Jews deserve. So the chief priests, they didn't approve the sign, and they asked Pilate to change it. Pilate said, but I had written, I had written. But what Pilate didn't realize is he had written a great truth, for today Jesus is the king. Let's move on to point number two. Jesus died. Still here in Matthew 19, verses 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing all things should, 
were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon a hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The cry from the cross was, I thirst. And that indicated one of the chief agonies of death by crucifixion. We think of the loss of blood, the exposure to the elements of the weather. That generated intense thirst. Fulfilling the prophecy in Psalm 69, 21, they gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And my studies come across, it says that what they gave Jesus was cheap, sour wine. And our Bible here, the King James Version, calls it vinegar. But it relieved his throat more than water would have. So the soldiers raised a moistened sponge to his mouth. Jesus received it, and then he said, it is finished. Now, the word finished was a common word on the, in the first century that stamped a bill of sale when it was paid in full. So just as an invoice was stamped with the word finished when it's paid in full, so Jesus Christ also paid in full everything that was owed to divine justice because of our sins. Jesus took care of our sin debt. His death was adequate to meet the need of every sinful human being. So now salvation is declared a free gift to all who believe in Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So our Lord Jesus Christ died while hanging there on the cross. Why? Because of his love for you and me. Did he have a choice? Yes, he did. Matthew 26, 53, Thinkest thou that I could not now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Did Jesus have to go through with this? No. He could have called 10,000 angels. The song says, goes like this. They bound the hands of Jesus in the garden where he prayed. They led him through the streets in shame. They spat upon the Savior, so pure and free from sin, they said, crucify him, he's to blame. Upon his precious head, they placed a crown of thorns. They laughed and said, behold the king. They struck him and they cursed him and they mocked his holy name. All alone, he suffered everything. How did he respond? To the howling mob he yielded, he did not for mercy cry. The cross of shame he took alone. And when he cried, it's finished, he gave himself to die. Salvation's wondrous plan was done. And the chorus is so beautiful, kind of sends shivers up and down your spine. He says, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. And today, folks, he could have done that. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. You talk about the love of Christ. He wasn't forced. He gave his life for you and I. John 19, 31 to 37, point number three, Jesus shed his blood. John 19, 31, therefore, the Jews therefore, because it was a preparation, 
that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was dead already. They brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For, all, for these things were done, that the scripture might be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. The soldiers did not break the leg of Jesus because they saw that he was dead already. Harold Martin, I quote, The soldiers could not have broken the legs of Jesus any more than they could stop a planet from its flight into the heavens. Because more than 400 years earlier, God said of the Passover lamb, referring to Jesus Christ, not one of his bones shall be broken. Exodus 12, 46. But one of the soldiers came to the cross of Jesus. He looked up at him. He took his spear and thrust it into the side of the Lord. And there we see how Jesus shed his blood for our sins while hanging there on the cross. Now, Jesus had lost a lot of blood while being beaten prior to the crucifixion. And now here we see more blood being shed. little research, an average adult body with a weight of 150 to 180 pounds in that range will contain approximately 1.2 to 1.5 gallons of blood. So as I'm standing here this morning, I got 1.2 to 1.5 gallon. And it has said people can die from losing half to two-thirds of their blood. And we see pictures how people try to portray how Jesus was beaten and the blood that was shed. And then we also see here how the soldier just pierced his side and out came blood and water. But what we need to remember here is that Jesus died before this cruel soldier pierced his side. He died, he shed his blood because he loved us. Point number four, Jesus is buried. John 19, Matthew 38 to 42. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which, was, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of mire and alloys, aloes, about 100 pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound in linen cloths with the spices, as the manner of Jews is to bury. At the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, new sepulcher, which wherein never a man yet laid. They laid therefore Jesus, they laid, there laid they Jesus therefore, because the Jews' preparation day for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. So Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and asked for permission to take the body of Jesus down from the cross. He was joined by Nicodemus, which is a man we can read about that came to Jesus by night in John chapter 3. And in John 3, and also we know how Nicodemus came secretly to Jesus, using the cover of darkness to conceal his actions. 
And here we see in verse 38 that Joseph, too, was one of Jesus' secret disciples. But both of these men confirmed the fact of their connection to Jesus at a time when it was the most dangerous to do so. And the question for us this morning, are we secret followers of Jesus, or are we bold witnesses for him? This burial burial here had to be hasty because it was nearly sundown, and at the the time that the Sabbath would begin. Now, Nicodemus had brought these spices, and they they wrapped the body of Jesus in these long cloths, carefully placing spices between the, the folds of linen. Then close to the crucifixion site, there was a garden. And there in the garden was a new sepulcher, which is a rock-hewn tomb, one you could actually walk into. They did not place the body of Jesus in a tomb dug in the ground like we normally bury today. Then both Matthew and Mark tell us that Joseph, after he, him and Nicodemus buried Jesus, Joseph, <coughs> excuse me, um, ruled a large stone over the entrance of the tomb, and then he departed. So what we have here at the end of that, it's that Jesus is buried. The prophecies about the death of Jesus were now fulfilled, and the work of redemption was complete. Jesus had done it all. The price was paid in full. He accomplished all that was necessary for our salvation. You know, sometimes when we look at our works, we may be ashamed of their imperfections. But when we look at the finished work Of Jesus Christ, we can rest in peace, certain that his death appeased the wrath of God. Fanny Crosby, one of her hymns, she wrote, Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. So she's asking, bring them scenes back. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow o'er me. Or do we stay that near the cross each and every day of our lives? The message of the cross should assure believers of God's marvelous grace, his undeserved and unmerited kindness towards each human being. And as Christians here this morning, we need to keep the scenes of the cross before us day by day. And also on the tip of our our tongue should be, thank you, Jesus, for the finished work there on the cross. For the last point, I'd like to go to, uh, just turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to come back to John 20 here after a while, or just before long. But I like the, the resurrection verses from the 24th chapter of Luke. Luke 24, verses 1 through 8. Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. Luke doesn't give a lot of names. We have more names than the other Gospels. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Excuse me. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. The actual step-by-step resurrection of Jesus Christ is not described in the gospel accounts. We are not told precisely when 
his body left the tomb, nor exactly how his body was resurrection, resurrected. But what we do know from Matthew's account, an angel moved his stone away from the tomb's entrance during a nighttime earthquake. Then we see the women going to, went to the tomb. Now think about this. They knew where the body of Jesus had been laying a few days earlier. They were at the correct location. They didn't get locations messed up and go to the wrong place. They were at the, at the correct tomb. They came to anoint the body of Jesus, bringing spices as we see there in verse 1. When they arrived, something didn't seem quite right. The large stone, which they had talked about, how are we going to move that? But that large stone was ruled to the side, and the tomb was empty. And that's why we're here this morning. The tomb is empty. Jesus Christ arose from the dead. So they stood there a little bit, quite puzzled, not what to think or what to do, when suddenly two men appeared there clad in bright garments and asked them a profound question. Maybe this is the reason I wanted to go to Luke here to read this, because I love the question. It said, why seek ye the living among the dead? Beautiful. Sometimes the King James Version, uh, the words kind of a little hard to understand, but this one's clear. Why seek ye the living among the dead? Why are you here in the tombs looking for someone who is alive? He is not here. He is risen. Our Lord didn't remain in the grave. He arose. He's alive today. He is living today, and the empty grave proves that he lives. Now, there's a song that I don't think it's familiar with very many, but I like the message, and I'd like to read it to you here this morning. It says, I walked by the tomb of Buddha. I looked inside and saw his bones. Traveled on to see Muhammad still wrapped up in his grave clothes. Then I journeyed to a garden where old Joseph left him lay. The precious lamb, God's own begotten, was no longer in the grave. And the chorus comes in in the second verse. If you're wondering in the darkness, come and step into the light. Nail-scarred hands reach out to help you to pull you safe from death to life. Friend, I too where stood have you stand. Can I trust in things I see? But just one step in his direction, then in love he ran to me. And the chorus is so beautiful. If you knew him like I know him, you would know that he's alive. If you felt him, like I feel him, resurrection deep inside, you know he's living and death has died. It says, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. And then it repeats, if you felt him like I feel him, resurrection deep inside, you know he's living and death has died. And it ends, and death has died. I'm not going to sing it, but there you have it. That is so, so beautiful. How do we know Jesus Christ is alive today? He's living within our hearts. We can know that he is alive. Back to John 20. Peter and, and John went to the grave. Uh, we're in chapter 20 now. Yes, <clears throat> I'm not going to read a lot of these verses 
But Peter and, and John went to the grave, and they saw the linen clothes that were laying there. They saw the napkin that had been wrapped around his head. Verse 8, we see John believed. Verse 9, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So Peter and John return home, and Mary, she stays there at the tomb, weeping, looking inside, trying to piece this puzzle, the piece of this puzzle together. She sees two angels, and then she sees Jesus. But she thought he'd probably the guy that takes care of the garden. Until Jesus called her by her name, he said, he said, Mary. So verse 18, we see she goes and tells the disciples that Jesus is alive. He had spoken to her. Later we see Jesus appeared to some of the disciples, proving yet again that he is risen. In verses 24 to 29, we see Thomas wanted to see for himself. And sometimes we come down pretty hard, Thomas. But I want to see Jesus someday too. I trust you do as well. So Thomas actually wanted to see for himself. Thomas said, I don't want to believe until I can actually touch the scars on Jesus. So Jesus appeared again, and he speaks directly to Thomas. And it's words of peace and comfort for you and me today. Verse 29, Jesus said to Thomas, said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. And the rest of that verse is for you and I. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. But it's so beautiful. Today we can believe that Jesus is alive. We've never seen him, but we can believe that he is there. We haven't seen the foot of our house either, but we trust that because you're sitting there in your house this morning. But we trust in Jesus. He can take, take care of us. I wish John would have taken the time to write out verse 30, but he says this, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written, in this book. Wouldn't that be nice if John would have taken the time just to write that out in detail? That would have been beautiful. We have a lot about Jesus, which we are very thankful for. But here we see there are many other things that Jesus did that continues to prove that he is risen. Verse 31, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. What John did write, he wrote for a reason, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He was inspired to write these things to help us believe, understand, know, love, and follow Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Christ was used to convince unbelievers that Jesus was not an ordinary man, but that he is the Son of God come in human flesh. His purpose was that many will believe that they may, and that they may have life in his name. This morning, Jesus is the true Messiah who imparts eternal life to those who will receive him in their hearts as Savior and Lord. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, we can be overcomers. Because of his resurrection, a right relationship with Jesus and submission to his lordship are possible. Because he lives, we can be more than conquerors. Because he lives, life is worth living. And we can look forward to living in eternity with our risen Savior. If we would have a Sunday school lesson this morning, we would see, because he arose, we too shall walk in newness of life. Taken from Romans. 
2 Corinthians 5.15, He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Because Christ suffered for our sins and rose again by the power of God, what does that mean for us? That means that we have power to live new and holy lives for him. Are you living that life this morning? In closing, and I take uh, a question and a comment from the Sunday School lesson, the Sunday School book, in the closing it says, what will you do, what will we do with the crucified and risen Lord? And the Sunday School book says we cannot be neutral. And I trust that's not where we are at, but we are serving the Lord with energy and zeal this morning. And that's what my closing comment is. Let's serve the Lord with energy and zeal, thanking him daily for paying our sin debt there on the cross, and then also surrendering our all, surrendering our all to him. Then go a step further and tell others what Christ has done for you. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning say thank you, Lord God, that you did not stay in that grave. You rose victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. Thank you, Lord, that you are reigning today as King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for the beautiful Easter morning and the blessing that we have to preach the word this morning. Bless Zach for allowing this to happen with live streaming. Bless everyone who tuned in. And I pray, God, that you just bless us throughout this day. And Lord, may we remember your death and suffering and resurrection, not only on Easter, but each and every day of our lives. Help us to live lives that are full of energy for you. And may we be diligent in telling others of the change that Christ has made in our hearts and in our lives. Bless us throughout this day. Give us wisdom and direction throughout the coming week. May we serve you faithfully. In the name of Jesus, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.